Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take. But there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com where I've been the deputy site manager for the past three years, the minor league editor for the past six years now. And I'm really excited about this episode. This is not a normal episode of Road to Atlanta where we break down the minor league, minor leagues and what's been going on there, uh, which the timing's pretty good because, frankly, the, the minor leagues have been a little bit kind of quiet and stale over the last week or so, just to kind of have it breaking down. But we have a lot to talk about tonight because the MLB draft version 2021 is right around the corner, and I couldn't think of a better person to talk to about this draft class, what to expect, who we like, who we don't like, than the guy who's been spearheading our draft coverage since he joined Talking Shop, one Matt Powers. Matt, how are you, my man? Pretty good. Excited that the draft is just a couple weeks away at this point, and really anxious to see who the Braves end up filling the system with, especially since we know they could really use some guys added into the lower minors at this point. Yeah, the minor low minors is looking a little bit rough these days, uh, particularly Augusta. And, you know, even looking at the, the, I guess it's called the Florida Coast League now roster, we, there's definitely some guys we like down there, Caden Morton, uh, Makai Backstrom. Uh, and before I go any further, people are going to ask us, we are not going to be folding the Florida Coast League into our regular minor league recaps this year. Uh, the, the information is just so, like, we're, we're, ba- we're literally just looking at box scores. Uh, we, can, we can get some information out from some of the guys that we know down there, but we want to feel a little bit more comfortable about recapping. And plus, there's just going to be kind of a lot of just kind of junk information that comes out of there. So what we're instead what we're going to be doing, and Matt and Garrett felt pretty strongly about this, is making sure that we're getting some information out there for you, is that we're going to be doing kind of a weekly recap of kind of what's been going on down there in the kind of basically the extended spring, you know, rookie ball, basically. Uh, I, I believe the current plan is to, for Garrett and Matt to uh, switch off doing that each week. But, but the idea is just to kind of get some weekly stats. Hey, who's been doing well this past week? Who hasn't been? You know, things like that. That's kind of the information that's going to be in that weekly recap. I believe it'll – I'm don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure we'll be posting that on Tuesdays. That's generally where we're putting kind of that – because the minor leagues are off generally on Mondays except for the Florida Coast League, which has Sundays off, what we're going to do is that uh, like Tuesday mornings we'll kind of have that recap go up. But that's not – I'm not going to say that's going to be for sure that's what's going to happen. I need to talk to Chris a little bit about the scheduling side of things. But that's our general plan for that. Uh, and, again, that roster – could use some more players that we're more interested in. Augusta definitely seems to have a lot of undrafted free agents on it, and some of them probably need to be replaced by some more talented guys. And that's what this draft's going to do. It's going to really felt that lower minors, uh, particularly with those day three and day three picks. The Braves have been particularly good about getting guys on day two and day three that are also highly talented and can actually grow into true prospects. Most of you are probably only going to care about the guys going to take in the first and second round, uh, if you care about them at all, but... We're excited about kind of the whole draft class and what can this do for a system that really kind of needs an injection of talent in it, particularly in the lower minors. So the way this podcast is going to work is literally I'm going to be asking Matt questions about this draft itself. And it's going to range from kind of the general to kind of more rave specific type information. And I would say don't get hung up on any predictions here because at the end of the day, the Braves are picking 24th in the draft. 
and that's towards the bottom of the first round. That's going to be very, very hard to kind of predict who's going to even be available. Uh, I think that everyone kind of agrees you just pick the best player available. Every, people can differ on that opinion. Reasonable people can just even for a, very, a group of people could have varying opinions on what that means in terms of upside or safety, things like that. But we're going to try to give you guys a good sense of what's going on in this draft, as well as kind of give you a range of players that we think the Braves have been connected to and that could be in play for the pick. Um, if you want to get more information kind of in the written word and kind of really deep dive in, Matt's been doing a ton of work, a ton of work on this draft. Uh, I did a quick draft primer kind of gives you a general idea of how big the Braves bonus pool is, where they're picking, you know, kind of what's going going on in this draft, et cetera, et cetera. You can find that on Talking Chop. But Matt's been also been doing like positional rankings. Like these are the, like the top 20 catchers that I like, top second baseman. And he's going to be doing all the positions all the way through until the draft. And we're going to be doing kind of more intensive kind of mock drafty type stuff as the, we get closer to the draft. But right now, all that kind of reference material of, Hey, who are these guys? You know, are there really good third basemen? Things like that. Uh, the answer is not really, but the, the, this is the, that, that's the kind of research that you're going to find over on Talking Chop. Make sure you just, all you have to do is search Matt's name on the site and you'll be able to find all of his write-ups. He's been doing a ton of work on it. And that's the good kind of companion piece to this podcast to kind of go, to kind of give you a sense of kind of what's going through in Matt's head regarding this draft. But Matt, I actually, the first thing I want to ask you is overall, how does this 2021 draft rate? I mean, does this, how does the top of the class rate versus maybe other tops of the class that we've seen in recent years? And like, how does its kind of depth rate against other classes as well? I think this is actually a pretty weak draft class overall as a whole and below average more than awful. Uh, the top of the draft in particular is a weakness. I think there's a group of guys at the top that are fairly legitimate top 10 to 15 picks in a normal draft, but I don't think there's any elite number one, number two, number three overall guys in a more normal draft. But because last year's draft was so short, that benefits this year because there's a lot more depth. And one thing that we will see is so many guys are underscouted because teams really didn't get looks last spring, last summer, in general, not to mention the players weren't really playing, especially the college guys. So I think you'll see a lot more guys picked later that end up being steals just across all the league at this point. Do you think that the like the draft league and you know the combine that the the league put together kind of helped with some of that scouting like shortfall? Yes and no. I mean, I, it obviously helped. It, it, having something is better than nothing, but uh, it's fairly short and only involves so many players so there's really only so much value that can be gained from those even though it's definitely positive value Uh, i mean maybe a couple guys teams have a lot better idea on but there's still so many guys that weren't involved in either of those it's just hard to really make up the gaps of what was lost in the pandemic so I guess it kind of gets to kind of the more nitty gritty because you said this is kind of a, we'll say it's a below average class. Uh, there's some depth, but the top of the class, there's certainly not a clearly defined guy. It seems like the top four or five guys are, are interchangeable and you can make reasonable arguments based on like how much they're going to want to get paid and, and things like that kind of determine who you pick up there. But where are the strengths of this draft in terms of like, the specific demographics? And like, where is this class week? Is it kind of like, you know, or like college guys or high school guys prep, you know, arms or bats? Is like a particular group particularly strong or particularly not great? I think the two biggest strengths of this class are the catcher position overall and the high school shortstops, specifically the high school shortstops. I mean, those are by far to me the two strengths of this class. The weaknesses are definitely the college bats. Uh, there really is not much out there if you're looking for college bats this year. And I don't really love the arms in this draft as a whole, particularly the college arms. I think that there's just not many upper to middle rotation guys. It's a lot more maybe three, four future number three, number four starters than you're going to see in a normal draft where you'd find the number two and number three starters. So I think that's definitely a pretty big weakness this year. So my, my thoughts here are actually pretty similar in the sense that I think that the one of the issues that the pandemic has brought up is that I think teams, particularly in the bottom half of the first round, and this certainly applies to the Braves, are going to have to take some risk. 
because I think that the the ceiling of some of these like these college arms and these college bats is low enough to where I just I don't feel like that spending a first round pick on them and spending that kind of money on those guys is in sometimes is some ways worth it. Like those really safe guys. Like yeah, this guy will get to the majors, but like maybe he ends up being like a long reliever or ends up being like a fringe number five starter. And I think that instead that the in general kind of those like some of these toolsy outfielders that are in this draft, the toolsy shortstop types, you know, in or infield types. I guess they could there's a few guys that could kind of move around different positions or some of these pitchers that have some projectability or maybe have some risk but have some high quality stuff. I think that's where if you're wanting to get the strength of this draft and take advantage of the depth early, that's what you should be doing in those like first couple rounds. After that, it just comes down to your scouting department because I mean, what the what this front office has done a pretty good job on, I think, is that those day two and day three guys, they've been able to pick up the prep guys and the college guys and those junior college guys that they like a lot and gotten real value out of them. Out of them. I'm actually not that worried about the day two and day three picks, but the day one picks, I think that to get take advantage of the like the strength of this draft is to kind of have, you're going to have to still be at like, some, some risk to get to have a chance of getting some real value out of it because I think there's some guys that if they had just had normal development would have like shot up boards that might be available in the bottom half of the first round whether that be because of injury or just you know just not enough information or they just need more time to develop you know either command or just make adjustments to their swing things like that because again like there's just not I'm, I'm looking you look at the bottom of the first and you don't I don't see like these like guys jumping into the bottom of the first that are safe college type guys that I'm particularly excited about. Whereas, you know, the guys who are kind of getting some consideration in the bottom of the first round are guys that have some real upside. So again, those kind of, those kind of safe college arms that I think that the Braves have been kind of leaning towards in, in a lot of respects aren't necessarily what I'm, what I'm particularly excited about. Um, so let's just get this out of the way because people are going to ask, you know, like, is there any chance this guy drops this guy, that guy drops or whatever. How many players are we certain won't be available for when the Braves, when they pick? And then what's that next group that probably won't be available? Maybe there's an outside chance that they drop for some reason. So there's 14 guys that right now I'd say have zero chance at being available. And I'll list them out. Uh, since I haven't done my overall rankings, I'll just look at the Baseball America list and go in order off of that. Um, but Lawler, Meyer, Leiter, Henry Davis, Kumar, Watson, House, Job, Frelick, McLean, Kowser, Madden, Wicks, Bachman. I don't think there's any chance any of those 14 guys has will be there for the Braves. Then if you look at the guys that probably won't be there, but it's not definite, there's a group of um, five guys in total. Uh, Painter, Harry Ford, Hogland, Bubba, and Benny Montgomery, with Painter probably being the one guy that is the most likely out of those five to possibly be there, and the only reason that he would fall down that far is simply because his bonus demands are seeming to move him down boards right now a little bit, just because he probably belongs closer to that first tier of those 14 guys, and I like him better than I like quite a few guys in that list, but he's a high school right-handed pitcher, so some teams just try to avoid that in the first round altogether. So that's why he might be pricing himself out into the Braves range. Now, just so everyone's clear, uh, Matt's talking about Andrew Painter. He's like, like a big framed righty, has like crazy good stuff, has a bunch of pitches, has dominated down there in Florida as a prep pitcher. Now, the 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 part of the monetary commitment that we we think might be an issue here is like p- part of it is like you know he thinks that he could end up being a real a really high pick in a couple years, especially if he goes to Florida. And it's also just because like those kind of those Florida Gator commitments can be a little tricky. Is that is that generally right? Do we know kind of do we have a sense of maybe where he wants to be picked before he starts really considering just going back to school? I'd say probably a good couple million dollar amount on him. Uh, I'm sure he's looking for top 20 money for sure. And then the other guys, uh, we have Hen- we have Henry Ford, we have uh, Hogland, who's uh, a pitcher who would have been picked higher, but he's coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, Bubba Chandler, who's been linked to the Braves multiple times, but there's also you know, and he is both a pitcher or he he's also a potential shortstop prospect, but he has a Clemson football commitment that we're you know 
kind of monitoring. And then ben, Benny Montgomery is another guy that might be around as well. So those are kind of the guys that like have an outside shot of getting to the Braves. Uh, I know that like Matt in particular has been kind of thinking, you know, and maybe quietly hoping that Andrew Painter does drop to the Braves. Uh, I remain skeptical that he, if he does drop to the Braves, that he's going to sign at all. But you know, that's that that is me. I don't know what the you think. The thing with Painter is, if we do, if we were to draft him, he would probably be the entire 2021 draft. I am pretty sure that he would be enough overslot that he would take away our ability to really do much with the day two and day three picks. Yeah, and that would definitely stink. Now, strategically, and we're going to talk a little bit about the strategy of this draft, is that, you know, I'm not sure if that really works out, especially since it's worth mentioning here that we're used to having a 40-round draft. Now, last year was a notable exception where there was only five rounds, and all bets were off for kind of what was going to happen strategically in that draft, and the Braves were missing a pick in that draft, which made things, you know, you know, significantly worse in that regard. But, you know, the strategy of kind of going over slot to, to go in on a guy in a 20-round draft, does that make sense? We don't really know. We don't really know how many guys are going to be more willing to go to college or be less willing to go to college this year in terms of how much you're going to be offering them on day two and day three. So it's definitely going to be interesting. It's kind of these these kind of these guys who are kind of falling out of the bottom, the top half of the first round that might be have college commitments that might make more sense to try to go into a different year's draft. But at the same time, there's no guarantee that the draft class in a couple of years is going to be any worse than this one. And as Matt noted at the top, is that this isn't this is kind of a weaker draft class. So this might be your chance to kind of get those paydays if they come to you. Um, before we talk to about actual Braves prospects, and as we kind of lead into our break, um, are we in agreement that it's unlikely that like because of the Braves bonus pool limitations, they have one of the lowest bonus pools in this entire draft, and that they're unlikely to do a lot of like underslot shenanigans, particularly with that first round pick? Uh, maybe I'd say not definitely. I think that, uh, they might do what they did in 2019, go a little under and go with a bunch of smaller overslot bonuses later, as opposed to being able to just give somebody really big money in the second round. I also think that it's a possibility that they go overslot on the first round pick, like an Andrew Painter, if he was there. I don't think that's definite that they would do that. I think it would at least be considered. But I'm guaranteeing that, like, a, where Cole Wilcox went last year and made significantly over in the second round, there's just no chance the Braves would have the money or ability to do something like that after spending close to anything in the first round or not under in the first round to go that far over in the second round. Yeah, I, th- I think something important to note here, too, is it's not just the Braves' willingness to do an overslot deal. It's that because other teams simply have so much more money, we're already thinking that, like, you know, there's guys that uh, at the top of the draft, um, like Davis and Mayer and, you know, maybe even, like, guys like Job are going to be signed at discounts already for teams that have a ton of bonus pool money. And so those guys that are going to drop in this in this draft – that are going to command real bonus pool money to try to go over slot, those teams are going to be in a much better position to do so. Uh, and again, this might be a situation too with a guy like Painter or other guys who might drop, is that they might know that another team is willing to draft them and pay them X amount of money, and that's why they're being priced out of where, they're being, where they would normally be ranked or where they would be picked. So something to keep in mind is that you know the Braves just don't have that kind of they don't have the bonus pool to do to do that. They just don't. And as a result, it just certainly limits their options for those kind of slot shenanigans. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't, you know, go a little bit over slot for guys they like and things like that. Uh, and those are kind of like those third and fourth round types, which we've seen the Braves do well with. That's just, let's just be clear about that. You can still do very well that way. Uh, and then with the with the day three picks as well, because that's not not as much of that counts against your bonus pool. But or and you're not like messing up with your slots too much on those day three picks. I expect the Braves to make some really interesting picks on those drafts, but it's, I don't think that there's going to be. This isn't going to be a team that's going to be like you know like wow in the third round they picked this guy who should have been a first rounder. It's not going to be like the Ian Anderson draft where they snatched up Joey Wentz and Kyle Muller, uh, two real first arm first round arms, uh, and picking them later than they should have because they had a big bonus pool to kind of leverage once they signed Ian Anderson to a less than slot deal. That's pretty much what we got for kind of the general thoughts on the draft for the moment. But before we kind of get into the more Brave-specific nuggets and the player-specific nuggets, we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Matt, this is where we get to the fun part. We actually get to talk about, you know, what our thoughts are and what the Braves could be doing and should be doing. We have guys and we've been kind of, we've our talking shop group chat was very, like, very active in terms of like, here are the guys that we like, here are the guys that we necessarily don't, we don't like, you know, why is this, why is that? But before we kind of get into like the, our personal favorites, we've seen a lot of mock drafts and again, at 24, you know, a lot of these are kind of like, you know, there's groups of names that are like the Braves have been mentioned or connected to, or at least they're considering. And like a lot of these mocks are from like really smart guys, you know, like Kylie McDaniel's doing a great job covering this draft. Carlos Colazzo, old friend, is going, he's been doing a lot of work over at Baseball America. Uh, Talking Chop alum, by the way, everybody, before anyone forgets, you know, <laughs> um, and like, you know, the pipe, the pipeline guys, like we're hearing some somewhat consistent demographic and specific groups of names that are being mocked to the Braves. So kind of give me, uh, give me the names that we've not, not names necessarily that we're like, those are like the picks we'd make, but these are the names that we've heard connected to the Braves and give us some nuggets about each one. All right. So the first name right now that seems to be put there the most commonly is Spencer Schwellenbach from Nebraska, the pitcher slash shortstop, uh, a guy who most teams seem to prefer as a pitcher at this point. Although I wouldn't rule out a team that does prefer him as a hitter, although I don't really think that he's good enough defensively to be a shortstop. He probably ends up more as a third baseman, but I just have a hard time buying that a guy with his stuff really gets to look as a hitter first. So he's definitely an interesting guy, obviously a two-way guy, so he comes with a little bit more ability to pick up and gain from where he's at just because he's dropping what he's doing primarily at Nebraska, which is hitting. Uh, but he's got the upper 90 stuff and a chance to start. He's probably the most common name that's linked to the Braves right now. Before him, it was Michael McGreevy, the uh, starter who's much more of a pitchability guy in the past who saw an uptick in stuff, and he's in the mid to upper, well, more mid-90s at this point. Uh, at this point, he's starting to get mentioned a lot less with the Braves right now because he seems to be moving up higher than where the Braves pick. So I don't think that the Braves would even have a chance to see him right now, uh, at least a good chance to see him right now. And I don't, I didn't really buy that the Braves were as significantly interested in him as it was reported out initially when he was the most commonly linked name to the Braves. Uh, another name is Tyler Black, the second baseman from Wright State, who put up a huge year statistically playing for Wright State, so obviously not the best competition and a very, very hitter-friendly park. Uh, I don't really buy into his tools all that much because nothing he does is really plus at all, but for a team that really values the analytics of huge production, they might buy into him, but I think he comes with a lot of question marks, and despite the fact that he's been so productive, I just have a hard time buying him as a first-round pick. Uh, then you have another second baseman mentioned with the Braves from East Carolina, Connor Norby, who uh, had a similar type season, Against a little bit better competition, not such a hitter-friendly park, he at least has a plus tool with his hit tool. Um, extremely productive this year as well, and had a good run in the postseason uh, that gave scouts some good looks at him, along with his uh, East Carolina teammate, Gavin Williams, the right-handed pitcher with huge stuff, who really made some money for himself with his performance in the NCAA tournament. 
he's an upper 90s guy, and he's got probably the most upside out of all of these college guys I'm mentioning here with this particular question. Um, we'll get into him a little bit more later, uh, but he's definitely one of the names. Um, then you have Will Bednar from uh, Mississippi State. Uh, he was recently linked to the Braves. He's got interesting stuff. I just don't really buy his third pitch and the effort in his delivery. I think he's more of a reliever long term. I really like him, but I don't love him as a first round pick just because I don't think he's going to be a starter. I mean, if you were to tell me that he's our second round pick, he won't be there in the second round, but he, he's a guy I get excited about there as opposed to in the first round. Then going back to the West Coast, you have another big lefty who has, uh, as I, I believe Garrett even said this, uh, re- reminder of a young Sean Newcomb, but Kai Bush. Uh, <laughs> let's not mention that name. That's going to get Braves fans hating him already. But a big lefty with huge stuff. He's had some past command issues. Uh, a little lower ranked in terms of the overall rankings pretty much everywhere. But stuff is huge. He's kind of like, uh, maybe not exactly comparable, but he's more the left-handed version of what Gavin Williams is. And then the one prep guy that is getting mentioned a little bit with the Braves by other sources would be Bubba Chandler, the local two-way player who is also a significant recruit to Clemson for football. So uh, he's a guy I don't really believe to be there but if he's there i have a hard time seeing the braves pass on him as a local guy and they do love their multi-sport guys they also do love their two-way guys who just in general have more room to develop yeah it's definitely an interesting group of guys that have been linked to the braves because we've like early on in the process we were seeing and it's it's continued for the most part is that college pitchers have been linked to the braves now i'm not sure how some of that has just been, you know, the picking of Schuster last, you know, last year. We we saw we saw other like the like the other the other Wake the other Wake Forest pitcher being mocked to him mocking mocked to them early as well. I think that what's interesting is that Schwellenbach and Chandler both are both two way guys that it seems like the Braves really do like, and it seems like it's particularly in the case of Schwellenbach, it seems like that they might prefer those guys at shortstop. Now we don't know that for sure. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's just a situation where they kind of like figure, they kind of figure it out after the fact. But these are like, these are two real athletes that could, that could pro- provide value on either side of the ball. And Schwellenbach has been consistently mentioned as like, maybe he's not the guy that ends up getting mocked to the Braves, but he's like, but he's always like mentioned as like, and the Braves seem to really like him, uh, as well. I think the Braves really love Chandler. I question whether or not he gets to them, and I, I do wonder what happens that if he does fall that far, if he ends up just like honoring his football commitment. But I think that he does get there. I think the Braves really do like him. And if that's the case, that they're going to at least try to be as persuasive as is humanly possible to get Chandler to play professional baseball. Uh, I think that that, that, that seems to be just kind of the, the whispers that we've heard combined with, you know, all the information that's out there is that seems like something that could really happen. And maybe it's a situation where like Chandler's like the, you know, uh, at the top of the list of guys that they think could be there, and then once he's gone, maybe they default to a guy like Schwellenbach or McGreevy or one of these other college arms, uh, of which there are many different options, if we're just being honest about it. But that's just kind of who – now, this isn't a list of, like, who we prefer and, like, even who we think is, like, likely as of this moment in time. This is just who has been mocked to and connected to the Braves. Now we're going to kind of get into the guys that we would like, and that is comes down to – so are there any names that stick out – amongst the group that we just mentioned that you would like the Braves to pick in the first round? And are there some other names that maybe haven't been connected to the Braves that you wish they would be and you wish they, they would call their call their name in the first? Well, the only name that I could say I'd be very happy about on that list would be Gavin Williams, and that's why I mentioned that we'd talk about him later. He's just got such huge stuff. I mean, he's hit 101 on the radar runs before. He's got a potentially plus curveball once he continues his development and the rest of his pitches should at least be average across the board after they've really seen to take a jump up this year I mean when you get a guy like that it's kind of hard not to like 
a guy like that because that power is just going to blow guys away. And he's if he, even if he can't make it as a starter, he's definitely at least got a future in the bullpen. But I, I believe in his ability to be a starter. So out of everybody listed, he would be the one guy that I would love to have. I wouldn't necessarily love to have Kai Bush in, in, the, in the first, but I also wouldn't hate taking him in the first for similar reasons. Obviously, similar kind of profile just from the left side. Um, guy who hasn't faced the best competition overall, but a guy that when you look at not where he's ranked, just his size, his stuff, just the overall profile, you can buy this guy's a first-time pick. So those are would be the two. I, I wouldn't necessarily hate Connor Norby as well, even though he wouldn't be my favorite pick, just because I do believe in his hit tool being the plus hit tool. So out of the guys mentioned, those would be the three that I would either love or be okay with. The others, I question quite a bit more. Um, I just don't really see them as first-round talents in a normal draft, and I think part of that might be because there isn't really 30 first-round graded guys in this draft, at least current grade. I mean, if, if you were willing to project upon the upside, then at that point, yeah, you do. But the Braves don't really seem like they're really willing to take that risk on the upside in this draft based on all the names that I'm hearing them connected to. It did seem earlier in the process that they were more interested in taking a toolsy high school outfielder, and they were focused on quite a few of them. But it, it seems like every single one of those names has either dried up or isn't going to be available where the Braves pick, like a Benny Montgomery. So uh, those would be the names of the guys that we had just talked about that I would like. As for some of the other names that I would like, uh, a kid like Painter is obviously the number one guy on my board. It, I, in a normal year, I'd say blow the rest of the draft pool on him, get him, he's that good. Believe it or not, He's probably my second favorite pitcher in this entire draft behind just Job. I, I like him more than both of the Vanderbilt guys because I just have questions on both Rocker and Lighter, unfortunately. And I, I think Painter, with his current stuff, what he's done so far, and the fact he has projection remaining, it, there's just so much to like with a guy like that. But in this draft, which is so underscouted in general compared to a normal draft, and with all the extra players that are in this year's draft because they didn't go last year's draft, this might not be the draft to go all in on one player and just have that be your entire draft, like the Kyle Wright draft was uh, with him and Waters. Uh, you might want to take more chances just because you'll be more likely to possibly hit on somebody that way, for sure. But uh, that would be my number one guy. But there's a few other guys I love. Another, a couple more guys that have football on the table for them. Monty White, the Pennsylvania um, high school outfielder, who's a Penn State wide receiver commit, four-star football recruit as well, along with Will Taylor, the South Carolina Clemson football wide receiver commit. So I'd be happy with both of those guys, and they're both projected to be in that range where the Braves pick. Uh, they're both athletic, uh, different profiles. I think White is more of a guy that could be a more complete player, uh, potentially closer to a five-tool player, whereas Taylor is more of a top-of-the-order type of guy to me. I think I, I think he's more of a gap-powered guy overall than he is a home-run guy, but I like his ability to hit. I like both of their abilities to run. Um, Jaden Hill from LSU is a guy that I, I'm somewhat on. I he has he has great great stuff, but he just has not pitched much at LSU because of the pandemic. Because he had Tommy John surgery this spring, obviously it would completely depend on his medicals, which I haven't seen. But this that's a guy that probably could have gone in the top five picks this year had he pitched a full year and really established what some people think he could establish, but he obviously didn't get the chance to do that, so it's it's really more of a guess on him that way. But 
he he's probably a, a couple year older version of Painter with a little bit more question marks and probably a little bit lesser of a price just because of the Tommy John surgery and the fact he's not as young. So that's another option that I'd like. Um, Anthony Salometto, the New Jersey prep left-hander, who really impressed me when I saw him up in Boston back in, whether that was late September, early October, at uh, the Future Star Series. He he just looked impressive. The fastball just moves. He really, really put in a lot of work last summer and is a guy that I think probably belongs in that range where the Braves pick. Could even go higher than where the Braves pick, but uh, just... He might have overtaken Chase Petty as the top New Jersey arm in a draft class that's very strong in New Jersey arms in the high school side. And the final guy that I wouldn't hate in the first round would be Ethan Wilson, the outfielder out of South Alabama, who is probably the lone college bat that I'd like, just even though he's an outfielder, I do like his ability to hit for power. Yeah, I, I actually I was I was glad that you mentioned Wilson because he was kind of a guy that's kind of in that range that I think would be an interesting upside play. Uh, you have to wonder a little bit about a guy that plays at South Alabama, how that hit tool will play, particularly against professional pitching. But he's a guy that I liked a lot. Um, a bunch of the guys that have been connected, I would not connected to the Braves. I, I like Chandler. I like Schwellenbach both. I think those would be perfectly reasonable picks. Gavin Williams is another guy that is certainly very very you're we're, you're very very high on, and I will kind of default to you on that. He certainly has great stuff. Uh, I'm actually, I think I'm a little bit higher on McGreevy than you are. I think that there's some projectability there in terms of kind of what he could be as he kind of goes forward. As it, like he's trending in a way that makes me think that maybe there's even a little bit more there, and he's more than just a pitchability guy. And said could actually like you know have an, uh, a further uptick with stuff, particularly if he gets into a system that can kind of allow him to make some more adjustments and kind of allow the, like the data that's available to kind of allow him to shine even even more. Uh, I like Jaden Hill. I I would have to be really really certain about those medicals before I would be kind of going in on him. The the high, the high school prep demographic is certainly one that the prep arm specifically is one that sh- people should be a little bit wary of because it's simply that like spending high picks on them can be very very tough. Uh, I Andrew Painter is a guy that I would certainly spend that pick on. However, I am a little bit concerned that. If you do that, that it would be, he, he would be expensive enough. Cause I think that he has enough upside with like a six, seven frame, just like big time stuff. Uh, a buddy of mine actually had his, uh, had a family member go up against Painter in a tournament and it was just like, you know, it was like watching a major league pitch against these kids. It wasn't fair. Uh, he just throws the ball, like throws a crazy hard fastball. Really, really good stuff. I, again, I'd love to, I'd love to have him, but. I think you might be right is that I think he would be expensive enough to, even if he was available, it might not necessarily be worth it because that'd be kind of torpedoing the rest of your class. Um, so we've kind of got the first round names covered. We got the names of the, the, of guys that the Braves have been connected to. And then we also have the names of the guys that we like with the overlap between the two. There's certainly some guys that the Braves have been connected to that we do like. We also have some other names that we think that could, they, that we'd like up there as, we'd like up there as well. Uh, Tyler Whitaker is another name. Uh, and you, and you've been on him for a while too is a name that I would be really interested in as a prep toolsy high upside outfielder. Uh, and again, you've been kind of pretty excited about him for a while now is that if he's a guy that's available for the Braves and the Braves took him, I'd feel Excited about the pick? There's definitely risk with it. There's absolutely risk with it. Uh, and you've, you know, you hear reports that, you know, maybe it's, maybe he has a group swing. But in terms of like the pure physical tools, you're not going to get much better than Tyler Whitaker. You're just not. So. Yeah, I, I, I did forget to actually mention him, but he's another guy I would love to see with the pick. I think that he's got a chance to be an excellent defensive outfielder with a chance to hit for both average and power. Uh, a guy who completely remade his swing and approach in the winter and looked much better this spring than he did in the fall because he, he did struggle a little bit to have much production at the WWBA, but he definitely made some changes, works hard, and the ability to make adjustments is always a big thing because once you show that ability, it's always a good sign for your future ability to do that. Absolutely. So those are kind of like the first round guys, but I, now I want to kind of get into the other days of the draft because 
you know, again, it's easy to get kind of hung up on those, like, those high-profile first and second round picks. But where the Braves have made hay in recent drafts have been actually in the later rounds on those day two and day three picks. You know, Michael Harris is, was a day three, was a day two pick. Uh, and a guy that, you know, a lot of people thought was, was a prep arm that was gonna be headed to school. Instead, they picked him as a bat, and now he ends up being one of the best bats in the Braves system in his first full season of pro ball. So, if we're looking at those day two, day two and day three picks, and again, this is gonna be kind of hard to predict, because we don't know exactly what demographics exist. And what, how Braves are going to use, utilize day two and day three strategically as opposed to last year? Like, is it, all, is it going to be the same sort of senior signs that we see towards the back end of the day two? What kind of guys are going to be picking on day three? But give me a few names in those, like, kind of after, like, you know, rounds, you know, rounds three through 20 that would interest you. So a couple of the names that would really interest me would be some of those Toolsy high school prep outfielders. Uh, Malachi Knight and Braylon Bishop, who are among the toolsiest outfielders in the class. We know the Braves were definitely looking and probably still are looking at those types of guys. I think those are two guys that could possibly be available a little later than the first round. Uh, I'd be happy with them. Uh, similar type of player on the college side is North Carolina's Justice Thompson, who came from Juca this year and really has loud, loud tools, but he has a ton of swing and miss. But it should also be pointed out, he was in his first year in the ACC after coming from Juco, and after that weird 2020 season, he it's kind of hard to really blame him too much for the high strikeout total, everything considered, but he kind of has a similar profile to the those two prep guys where... You question the hit tool, but the other tools are all there, and they're very loud. Uh, a couple short stops that I like include the kid from NC State, Jose Torres, who was initially a glove-first guy, who really surprised last year, obviously short sample size with the bat. He put up a similar total with the bat this year, um, actually even cut his strikeout rate a little bit, He's a guy I like. I think there's a little bit more in the bat, and the Braves do need a shortstop, so he'd be one. Uh, on the prep side, another shortstop I like is probably a guy that could even go in the first round at this point, at least from what I'm hearing. I don't think he will, but there's at least some talk of him going that high. A guy who's really risen to draft board, Jackson Merrill out of Maryland. Very interesting guy who really moved up uh, the Kentucky commit, who is a potential four-tool guy. I can't really say he's a five-tool guy because I don't really buy into his glove enough to call him a five-tool guy, but he just had a huge home run at Camden Yards this weekend in an all-star game. Um, so he obviously has the power to hit it out in a big league stadium. He's one guy I would love to have, but I don't know if he'd even be there in the second round at this point, just with the way he's risen. Then a couple pitchers that I really like. Um, out of South Florida, I like Irvin Carter, uh, high school prep arm. Uh, down on the West Coast, big projectable arm, Max DeBeck from Washington State. He's huge, uh, 6'7", a guy who really came out at the Perfect Game Nationals last year out of nowhere and just started hitting 97, despite the fact that he weighed maybe 180 pounds at the time at 6'7", so he was extremely skinny. But he hasn't really risen much since then because his velocity is not consistent. But there's still a lot of room for a guy like that to fill in, and maybe you're looking at a guy who could potentially be a future triple-digits guy once he really fills in gets into a pro-strength program. But there's a lot to like with a guy like that. And then uh Florida Juco guy, who's actually an Atlanta area native, is uh Dylan Ross, the right-handed pitcher, Georgia commit. He hits 100. There's a possibility of even having a little bit more in the tank, which is shocking at that size. But he's got nasty stuff, uh, possibly uh higher than 100-mile-an-hour velocity, a nasty split finger. Uh Just the kind of guy that... If he makes it to college and the command does well enough at Georgia for a year, you're talking about a guy who could be a top 10 pick overall next year, depending on what he does in college. So taking a guy like that in the second, third, fourth round, it would be hard to pass up if he's there and willing to sign at that price. 
considering where he could be going next year. Yeah, and I think that the the general consent, not the general consensus, but I guess like the general idea here is that what Matt's looking for here on day two and day three are guys with like high upside. And again, that kind of gets to what I think this draft is important because you're not going to find the, you're going you're to have a hard time finding unsung but polished prospects in this draft for a number of reasons, the biggest of which being that coming off the pandemic, there's guys that just lost development time. So you're going to have to really start betting on tools and betting on guys that maybe like they might have some warts in terms of command or, you know, like the ability to hit breaking balls or, you know, just, you know, having to make tweaks to their swings or, you know, kind of making tweaks to their mechanics with their pitchers. This is gonna, like if you want to get value out of this draft, I think you're going to have to take some risks and you're going to have to bet on some upside. And Matt may get a really good job here. And we also have a piece up on the site that kind of talks about potential day two and day three prospects at length that Matt wrote. Uh, that if you want to kind of like dig into those guys that maybe aren't going to be the, like the first day types, but could still be like really big time value, make sure you look at that piece because I mean Matt gave you a good rundown there of some of the names in particular that he likes, but there's a whole bunch of options and he was definitely did a good job of kind of breaking those down as kind of potential options for day two and day three. Uh, last question before we let folks go is kind of a general one, which is like, you know, we've, you know, we're fairly familiar with kind of how this front office operates in terms of who, what they like to draft and how they, they generally operate in terms of how they go their picks. When the when the draft happens after day three, how are we think? And based on what we know, how do you think we're going to feel about the Braves draft class as a whole? Just you know, what is your gut feeling about kind of like overall what the quality of it is? Maybe I don't think bet, betting on who they're going to pick is going to it makes much sense at all because of where they pick. But overall, how do you think we're going to feel about it? All right, so um, yeah, I think we'll be disappointed by the first round pick. But I think in uh, the second and third day that we'll like the picks, even if we aren't initially excited by them. I mean, Spencer Strider was a guy that was interesting last year, but I don't think he excited anybody because he'd thrown, what, 12 innings at Clemson last spring and sat out the year before that with the Tommy John surgery. So I think he profiled more as a reliever, but not a guy to get excited about and what the Braves scouts saw in him at Clemson in those 12 innings was enough to find a real steal in the fifth round of the draft. So, or, or was he the, he was the fourth rounder. Yeah, he was the fourth rounder. Elder they, they got, they got Elder late, yeah. Yeah, Elder was the fifth. So, um, it, it's very possible that we may not like the pick necessarily completely on the day after the draft, but at this point, they might find someone like that this year too. So I, I think we'll be excited with what they end up doing, but I'm not necessarily having high hopes for what they do with the first-round pick. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment in the sense that, you know, like we've had a couple drafts back-to-back where we've been somewhat underwhelmed. Now, in the case of the 2019 class, I think that they really named that, nailed that Shea Langelier's pick in that, you know, for what he is, it's like I have a guy who can really stick behind the plate. Seems like he's gonna be able to hit some too. They did a good job. Verdict still out on Braden Shoemake. Uh, you know he's looked better lately. And then you know with Jared Schuster, you know coming off, you know dealing what we have heard is he had some shoulder issues and he really hasn't been stretched out all that much uh, just yet. So we kind of get a good sense of what that pick is. Is that they seem to go with like track record college guys that maybe we're not like super excited about the upside of, but that they do seem to do really interesting stuff and take some risks. And place some bets in those with those day two and day three picks, and I tend to agree with you. I think that what's going to happen is that maybe after day one we're like, eh, okay, sure. I mean, like not guys like you know not anyone that's going to like you know shoot up to the majors really quickly and put the top of prospects list right away, uh, but maybe just be solid contributors. But then they start taking some risks on some lottery ticket types, some guys with some tools in day two, day three that we end up liking, and I, I, I love, like, you know, the Stephen Paolini-type picks. I mean, that pick hasn't really worked out in a specific example there. He's still a ways away. But, like, the Stephen Paolinis, the Spencer Striders, just guys like that who just, like, kind of come out of nowhere, but, like, you find, like, have some real tools and that the Braves decide that, that they are just going to trust their scouting department and to place a bet on a guy. I like those kinds of picks. And, again, those have worked out in some cases. Like, you know, Michael Harris is a guy that, you know, they got away from a college commitment that people didn't think was going to be picked high, particularly as a hitter, and now he's been great. I, I want to just continue to see more and more of that. And I hope I hope that's the case. And I hope that they we also they also take one of the guys that we like on day one and they end up getting some upside in that first-round pick. And then, you know, they just continue to do what they've been doing in with those day two and day three picks. But other than that, that's pretty much all I've got. Matt, is there anything else you want to share with the people before we let them, let them go? 
No, no, that's it for now. The uh, positional rankings will be coming out still uh, for the next couple of weeks up until the day of the draft. So that's really the only thing. And and again, we're going to continue to ramp up that draft coverage too. Uh, keep an eye out for the to the feed later this week. Uh, there is a decent chance that I'm going to be able to have a kind of a short little. It'll be a short little mini podcast, but it'll be kind of a uh, a part two to this podcast where we tell some more draft preview content with the great. Carlos Colazo from Baseball America. It just depends a little bit on his schedule. He's crazy busy right now, and he wants to be on the show. We just got to figure out if we can make it work uh, time-wise where he can be on the show, give us a good bit of information uh, without messing him up too badly. So keep an eye out for the feed. That might be kind of an extra special uh, little podcast in addition to what we normally do. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast. All you have to do is look for the Talking Chop stream on whatever your preferred podcast purveyor may be, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you prefer to use. We are on it. You get this podcast as well as the Talking Chop flagship show hosted by the great and somehow still alive Brad Roland. I don't know how that guy functions on the little sleep as he gets with as much recording and writing and coverage as that guy does between the Braves work he does for us, obviously, as well as for, you know, covering the Hawks the way that he does. He's doing a phenomenal job with basically everything that he does. Support Brad in whatever you do. I mean, picking, you know, making fun of him a little bit is definitely, we're, we're in favor of that here, but at the same time, you know, I kind of appreciate how much he, effort and you know real real much effort how much work he puts into giving guys great coverage of atlanta sports in general uh again just kind of my general fairly regular reminder that brad roland's really great at his job and you should you know be appreciative of what he does uh thanks again so much for all the support for the podcast we really appreciate all of you uh again for the next couple weeks it's going to be all draft all the time for us and so next week we're going to be doing another draft episode we're going to get the format of that we maybe do a bit of a mailbag type episode for that as well to kind of compliment things see if there's guys that you have questions about or concerns about we'll do our best to answer those we appreciate you guys so so much again Thanks again just for everything that you guys do for all of us. It's an absolute joy to be able to do this on a regular basis and to actually have folks wanting to listen to the show, as many as you that you do. Keep keep just telling your friends about the show, and we'll see you next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.